Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. We begin this hour with breaking news and what could be the worst storm to hit the Carolinas in a generation. The National Hurricane Center is just out with new information on the strength and the direction of Hurricane Florence. And even without any numbers, the picture alone is terrifying, as are the possibilities for massive storm surges to more than three feet of rain to areas that could experience hurricane force wind for a day and a night. We'll, of course, be covering all the angles, all of the evacuations, the preparations, all of it. We want to begin with very latest numbers and the track of the storm. CNN's Jennifer Gray joins us. What have you learned, Jennifer? Anderson, the latest advisor just came out about five minutes ago, and we have learned that it has weakened just a little bit. 115 mile-per-hour winds. Still a major storm, though. Still a Category 3 uh, with gusts of 150 miles per hour moving, moving to the northwest at 16. So the forward speed is still the same. But you can see the eyes starting to collapse a little bit. It could be going through an eyewall replacement, meaning these storms just exhale and inhale. They can't maintain that strong intensity uh, for very long. It is expected to still make landfall as a Category three that hasn't changed that's what we've been talking about the last couple of days and that extreme slowdown is still expected as well we'll be able to walk faster than this storm is going by the time it gets close to land now it could go on land and then meander to the south it could stay offshore a little bit but either way we are going to get inundated with rain this is going to be a long-term event and we are going to see a lot of storm surge from this as well yeah let's talk about that storm surge i mean what can coastal north carolina residents expect we're expecting anywhere from 9 to 13 feet of storm surge. And with this storm sitting here for 24 hours or more, we are going to see this storm surge push inland for at least 24 hours. Multiple high tide cycles. And we know how dangerous the high tide can be when you're talking about storm surge because it makes it even higher. So this is going to be pushing in through up all the rivers, inundating homes, neighborhoods. Let's go to the floor and I'll show you uh, what this can do. And I know, Anderson, you've seen this uh, in your history of covering storms. When we have that storm surge, it'll fill people's first floor. They, get, they go up into their attic, their second floor. They get stuck up there. They can't get out. And that's the worst-case scenario. That's why they're telling people to get out while you can because it is going to fill people's first floor and possibly part of their second. So if it does make that slow crawl up to the coast as expected, what are the anticipated rain totals? Well, on top of the storm surge, you're going to have massive amounts of rain. We're talking about 20 30 feet, uh, 20 to 30 inches of rain, sorry, across coastal portions of North Carolina as well as South Carolina. So you see that area shaded in white. That's the 20 to 30 inch rainfall total. That's expanded from what we were talking about yesterday down into South Carolina and well inland. Look at this. Western portions of South Carolina could get anywhere from 6 to 10 inches of rain. So if you've evacuated the coast for this storm and moved inland, be careful because if you've 
gone to Colombia, they could get six to ten inches of rain. And so we could see massive flooding, long-term flood event, well inland, well away from the coast. And so that's an incredible danger as well. And, and just in terms of, of the rain, I mean, how long are we talking about here? Assuming, first of all, when are you thinking about this coming ashore? Is it still kind of very early Friday morning, the a.m. hours? And, and how long will people be impacted by, by the rain? We're talking about the effects being felt as early as tomorrow morning with winds. We're talking about the, uh, the storm moving on shore Friday, early Friday or mid-morning. The timing is still a little questionable, but sometime early on Friday, the rain is going to hang around until Sunday, even Monday, possibly Tuesday, and then it's going to move up to the northeast. And so we could see six inches of rain in New England, believe it or not, by the middle to end of next week. Wow. Uh, it's going to be we're going to be dealing with this for a long time. Uh, we'll check in with yeah. you a little bit later on on the ground today. It was described as the last good day to leave. Leave now. That was the message. And more than a million people have been given the word. And for those without the means to travel, buses have been leaving coastal towns, bringing people inland. Local station uh, WWAY in Wilmington, North Carolina, reports that the final buses heading to Winston-Salem, several hours away, were slated to depart this evening. Wilmington's Mayor uh, Bob Sappho joins us now. So Mayor, uh, we're less than 24 hours until the storm uh, hits. How confident are you that the, your city is ready? We're as ready as we can be. We've been preparing for this for the last several days. A lot of people have heeded the warnings, have moved out of the area, the barrier islands, of course, uh, mandatory evacuation. We've got a lot of people that have, that have moved west of here, and uh, we feel pretty confident that those that wanted to get out have gotten out. That window, of course, is closing. We would say no later than this evening, early tomorrow morning, we're going to start feeling some of the effects of this storm, but we want people to be ready to go because at some point in time, by Friday, late, I mean, late Thursday, early Friday, we're going to start feeling some pretty significant effects of this storm. Yeah, I heard you say on CNN last night that once the storm is upon us, we can't save you. How much of the population do you think remains in Wilmington, and how concerned are you for their safety during the storm? Well, we we feel a lot of them have moved out. I don't know the exact number, Anderson, but there's been a lot of people that have moved out of the area. Those with means have definitely uh, uh, evacuated and gotten out of the area. What I see with this storm, which is, is very concerning to all of us down here, is this thing may be an event that sticks around for 36 to 48 hours with four different high tides, a tremendous amount of water. We're going to have a lot of inland flooding. So we're going to have a lot of people after this event is over with that want to come back into the area. We've got to have personnel to get in here to try to re, uh, Duke Power wants to get in here as quickly as possible. All of the assets, they're going to have to come into the area to clean this place up after the storm passes. So I was on the phone this, uh, this afternoon with the governor sharing my concerns uh, about what the highway patrol can do to make certain that we get the assets into the area first before the folks get back into the area. So some of these folks that have, a lot of these folks that have vac- evacuated may be away for, for quite a few days before they can get back in because we do know that we're going to have swollen creeks and rivers and, and I know that the highway patrol is not going to allow people to cross those and we've seen it in other events like Matthew last year where we had a lot of flooding inland with that storm was about 17 inches of rain. This one could be 20, 30, maybe even 40 inches is what I've been told. Yeah. So your message tonight uh, to, to the people in your city who are still uh, still there. 
Yeah, just get prepared. This thing is coming. It looks like we're going to take the direct hit here. It looks like the track is going to go south. I know that our neighbors south of us in Myrtle Beach and Charleston have been prepared and they've been getting ready. But uh, this is going to be a significant event for our community and for our area. And we appreciate all of the efforts of all of the media that has, you know, really gotten the message out to the folks. I think these everybody here in this in this area, in this community, has heeded those warnings and have made the proper accommodations and, and have secured whatever they can um, before they left. And, and there's no way, obviously, to know how long you, you know, folks may be without power for. In past storms, how long has power been out? I've seen power outages here. We were out with power for 10 days. Wow. And we may be talking about an event, as I said, Anderson, that we could be here for 36 to 48 hours where you're basically locked down into your house while these winds and this hurricane comes through. I've never seen or have experienced anything like this. And I would venture to say that most meteorologists have never seen an event where, where a storm sits over us for 36 to 48 hours. That's, what this, that's what's so nasty and, and bad about this this. Uh, particular storm. Most of these storms move in, they get through the area pretty quickly. This one is going to linger for quite some time and it could cause a lot of havoc, not only in North Carolina, but also in South Carolina. Yeah, well, we wish you the best, Mayor. We'll continue checking with you. Mayor Sappho, thank you so much. Uh, please be safe. Just down the coast in Carolina Beach, the town is under a 24-hour curfew. The one bridge to the access uh, to access the town is closed to inbound traffic, still open to cars getting out. The beach, of course, closed right now. Martin Savage is there for us. Martin? Well, as you can see, perhaps this is the closing of the bridge, at least as far as the lanes going on to the barrier island behind us here. It's been talked about for days. Now it's really happening. It's a clear indication that everything that people have feared and prepared for is now starting to kick into action. Sometimes you worry about what's called the perfect storm, but what if you had the perfect person perhaps in place to lead in disaster? This is what we found here. Hey, Michael. Joe Benson is the mayor of Carolina Beach, a North Carolina oceanfront community staring Hurricane Florence in the teeth. Right now, we're looking at a possibility of storm surge in the area that looks like it would be between 9 and 13 feet of storm surge. He also spent 22 years serving in Air Force Special Operations. In the case of Afghanistan, uh, six times. Six times I went. And he's got a college degree in meteorology. I mean, I don't want to blow your head up too much, but I can't think of a better resume to have at this particular time. How coincidental, huh? This first-time politician has been in office less than a year and now has a disaster at his doorstep. Did you ever anticipate that you would be mayor of a community that faces now a cataclysmic hurricane? Not necessarily, although everyone who lives in the island, and most people you'll ask, they'll say that the the risk of living in a beautiful place like Carolina Beach. He's no longer responsible for just his own family. He has 6,300 residents to look out for. Do you have any idea how many people have left? I'd say about 75%. Now, I know that 100% won't. With Florence closing in, he takes me for a look around his community. The road will certainly be... uh, threatened, if not significantly underwater. Like any commander before a fight, he assesses what he's up against. But we we have to expect that water, Atlantic water, is going to get over both the frontal and the primary dune and get to at least Lake Park. Storm surge isn't the only threat. He has the local lake drained to accept what could be record-breaking rain. I think all that's going to be enough. (sighs) I hope so. 
I know hope. I know hope's not a uh, uh, not much of a, a game plan, but at this point in time, take every measure you can. There is another critical decision this weather commando has made. He's leaving. You don't see that as the captain abandoning. No, I, 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 you know, from my background in in special operations, yes, I, I can get the sense how that might read. But he also knows he told everyone to leave. It doesn't set a good example. What do you think you'll find when you come back? We're going to lose beach um, and structural damage in the island. It's my hope that we can accept that and rebuild from that. Um, but loss of life is is intolerable. And Morton, what's happening in the community tonight? What are you seeing? Well, this is, you know, where the curfew begins to go into an effect. That was always the plan. Eight o'clock, that essentially means that the barrier island behind us, Carolina Beach, goes into a kind of lockdown. Residents will only be allowed to stay on their property if they stay behind. Nothing is open. There's no food. There's no restaurants. There's nothing like that. And the bridge, at least to get on the island right now, is shut down. They have left two lanes to allow people to leave the island because the bridge will actually close depending on the weather. And that'll be tropical storm force winds above 45 miles an hour. There is still a chance for people to get off. But that window is closing fast. Yeah, sure is. Martin Savage, appreciate you being there. We're going to continue to bring uh, everybody updates from across the area throughout this hour. Also tonight, President Trump has just patted himself on the back for storm preparations. We'll tell you about that. And with the president boasting about the unsung success after Hurricane Maria, as he called it, we'll take you to uh, Puerto Rico to get the story behind this photo. Those are cases and cases of bottled water. And yes, they're undelivered. We have details on that. And later, the revelations from fear. Bob Woodward's inside account of the Trump White House. Also remarkable reporting that went into it. And Bob Woodward's own take on it all, how the president compares with all the others he's known. I talked to him ahead. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I slash CNN. Well, with Hurricane Florence bearing down on the Carolina coast, President Trump tonight again weighed in on how prepared federal emergency response now is, in his opinion. It's not unusual, of course. What is unusual is, once again, the president also did a little boasting, just as he did in a tweet today about Puerto Rico. We got A-pluses uh, a for our recent hurricane work in Texas and Florida and did an unappreciated great job in Puerto Rico, even though an inaccessible island with very poor electricity and a totally incompetent mayor of San Juan. We are ready for the big one that is coming. Now, as you might imagine, the president soliciting praise with nearly 3,000 Americans dead in Puerto Rico as a result of Hurricane Maria may have surprised some people. That said, it wasn't a surprise after what the president said just yesterday. The job that FEMA and law enforcement and everybody did working along with the governor in Puerto Rico, I think, was tremendous. I think that Puerto Rico was an incredible, unsung success. I think in a certain way, the best job we did was Puerto Rico, but nobody would understand that. So that touched off a storm of its own. In a moment, we'll go to San Juan to get some reaction and bring you new evidence of just how far short emergency, uh, the emergency response fell. But first, CNN Jeff Zeleny on what the president just said. Jeff? 
Well, Anderson, the president uh, tonight was talking earlier about how big of a storm this is. He said it's coming very quickly. It's bigger than we anticipated. No question the president is paying very close attention to the very specifics of what's going on on the ground, handling this almost like he's a governor or a mayor, talking to senators, talking to other local officials. Uh, but at the same time, he's also still kind of caught in that uh, moment of Puerto Rico, caught in that moment of Hurricane Maria, saying again you know, that uh, there were no lessons to be learned, that uh, everything was, was done successfully. But he didn't mention it tonight when he spoke in the East Room of the White House. He was talking again about urging locals, uh, officials, and, you know, actual citizens, many of, of course, his supporters, to follow the uh, instructions of their uh, local and state officials and, you know, get out of that storm zone. Then at the same time, though, he said, we're already getting a lot of accolades about this. But Anderson, no question, this administration, this government, this White House will be judged by the response to this Hurricane Florence. They know it. The president knows it. And he's certainly not backing down from the comments about Puerto Rico that he made yesterday. He's not. I mean, he talked about in the Oval Office that it was an unsung success, never mind, never once mentioning the nearly 3,000 uh uh, people who lost their lives. He never once mentioned one thing they could have done differently. And FEMA actually has said, yes, there were many things we could have done differently. Uh, but he did not mention that. And again, you know, he was sending a tweet this morning. He called it, you know, an unappreciated response. So this is very classic President Trump. We've seen it by now. We know it by now. He has his own version of reality. He never apologizes, never backs down. But Anderson, inside this White House, there is a sense of focus that I can see that we normally don't see on this storm particularly. They want to get it right. We'll see if that happens. Of course, a lot is left to Mother Nature here. But uh, the White House uh, is focusing on this. Uh, they have no choice, of course. All presidents, don't forget, are tested by something outside of their control. He's not yet been tested with the exception of, of, a, Mar of a Maria last year by a a natural disaster, but uh, boy, there are a lot of people relying on him and his government tonight, Anderson. Yeah, obviously Texas as well. Jeff Zeleny, thanks very much. More now on Puerto Rico, how the president sees it and how differently people there really see if uh, people who, sad to say, have seen far too much already. Hurricane Maria hit the Commonwealth about a year ago. Just recently, as Jeff Zeleny alluded to, the official death toll was raised from 64 to almost 3,000. And according to researchers from Harvard and elsewhere who studied the death toll for months, the government in Puerto Rico made it difficult to get accurate mortality statistics. And even now in Puerto Rico, we're seeing powerful reminders of all the things that turn a natural disaster into a worse man-made tragedy. In this case, one iconic image. Our Bill Weir joins us now from San Juan with more on that. So what, do you, what have you been seeing while you're down there, Bill? Well, Anderson, we're down here uh, to do a special hour on the one year after recovery to see how things are shaping up. But we came across a site that just has to infuriate uh, the countless Puerto Ricans who are drinking rainwater or rigging pipes into rivers to survive in the months after the storm. And all the good souls back in the mainland who tried to help them by sending water, even bringing down supplies. This giant blue pile we came across in Seba, Puerto Rico, about 45 minute drive south of San Juan, is 20 thousand pallets of FEMA water, bottled water, maybe between 30 and 40 million bottles of water that have been sitting, going to waste in the hot sun for months. They started to arrive back in October or November. They didn't start sending out the water until May. And then people reported a foul odor and smell, which touched off some sort of government testing program. Uh, so there it sits, unused. 
And uh, blame is kind of like that water. There's, there's an awful lot of it to go around. Uh, FEMA says, look, we're not in the distribution business. We got the resources to the island. It's the locals' responsibility to get it to the people in need. The locals put out a statement, uh, the, the Puerto Rico government, that says, look, they just brought too much water too late in the process, and now it's tainted, perhaps, and they want to return it to FEMA, which creates a whole other logistical nightmare. Anderson? And, and the, I understand the mayor, where this runway with the water is, called this excess water and said that the people have what they need. Is that what you're hearing from people on the ground there? Well, maybe in his neighborhood, uh, they're, they're, they're all fine and dandy, but uh, we're heading up to Atuado tomorrow, out into the west, where uh, people are still desperate to get uh, just the basic stuff of life. I was on Vieques, uh, the island off the coast of Puerto Rico yesterday, where people are carrying water, cisterns of water, up to their homes, some still living in tents. Uh, there, that island running on generator power. So no, I mean, you know, disaster management really is a game of logistics getting what is needed to the right people at the right time. And that runway full of uh, palleted water there, you know, if this happened at Walmart or FedEx, imagine the heads that would roll. It seems like an object lesson that all levels of government should be, from the cities all the way to the White House, should be studying. But you heard the president. He gives this uh, an A+. And, and Bill, I mean, you spent a lot of time down down in Puerto Rico, uh, you know, in the uh, during and in the aftermath of the storm. I'm just wondering what some of the things that, that have really struck you in the time that you've been there this time. This time, you know, we've just started our journeys, uh, spent a day on Vieques. What I'm realizing is, you know, that when the rain stops, that's just the beginning of a slow motion disaster. And what they're feeling now is the mental health burden, the PTSD as another Hurricane Isaac uh, sort of wanders dangerously close for comfort uh, this way. Uh, we were at the suicide hotlines today, which are lighting up. Uh, the schools, they've lost a third of their school children as schools close down. Um, and then there's the insurance piece of this. I heard many anecdotes of people saying they just can't get the claims, and when the insurance company does make them an offer, it's pennies on the dollar. Uh, so, so many different layers of recovery that they will be sorting out really for a generation down here. All right. Well, I'm glad you're there. I look forward to the special. Bill Weir, thanks very much. Coming up, my conversation with Bob Woodward, whose new book on the Trump White House paints a graphic and detailed picture of what he calls a nervous breakdown in the executive branch. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com CNN. Bob Woodward, along with Carl Bernstein, once effectively brought down a presidency by sheer tenacity of their reporting. That's not the goal of Woodward's book about the Trump White House, the result of his latest exhaustive reporting effort. He says he did not write the book for any political reason, but as he told me, to give an account of what this White House is really like. Fear, Trump in the White House, is already causing certainly a lot of turmoil in the White House. All you have to do is check the president's Twitter feed to see that his publication has shaken him. I asked Bob Woodward about the response to the book and much more in an extended conversation earlier today. We started with something that the president's son, Eric, said on Fox News this morning. There's a lot I I obviously want to ask you about the book. I do want to just ask you about something that was in the news today. Eric Trump uh, was critical of, of obviously, of the books, calling it sensational nonsense. He said, CNN will definitely have you on because they love to trash the president. It'll mean you sell three extra books. You'll make three extra shekels at the behest of the American people. Besides the fact that he doesn't know where the word behest, uh, how do you actually use that word? Some have interpreted his talking about shekels as kind of a dog whistle um, to... uh, and basically an anti-Semitic dog whistle. Do you see it that way? Uh, I just hope no one would talk like that, frankly. I think uh, 
that that just doesn't fit. And um, I'm I'm sorry. Anyone talks like that, whether it's a dog whistle or whatever the intent is. Uh, it's not. I mean, part of the point of this book is that we need to have a serious debate about serious issues and to to use invective and uh, this attack rhetoric or what you know whatever it might be i i it's it sets us back i, I want to there's so much in the book to talk about but but one of the, the you talked about having a serious discussion one of the things that stopped me in my tracks when i read this book was will you call what's happening in the White House a nervous breakdown of the executive power of the most powerful country in the world? That's a terrifying, as a citizen, that is a terrifying thing to read about a, a nervous breakdown in the executive branch. I think that's exactly what it is, and it's supported by the decision-making and the discussion and President Trump's impulsive behavior on a range of issues from North Korea, Afghanistan, the Middle East. Would you have said that that in the Nixon administration there was a a nervous breakdown in the executive branch? Or is this, I mean, obviously it's apples and oranges, but is this worse than what you saw inside the White House then? Uh, Well, it depends. Uh, uh, Nixon was a criminal. Uh, uh, My colleague Carl Bernstein uh, always says this, and he's exactly right. It's the criminality. In the case of Trump, we don't know. The Mueller investigation is not over, uh, and so we're going to have to wait on that. Is there true allegiance to the president among the people in the White House? Well, it it depends. You can't... uh, put everyone together. What I do is cite specific examples, and I, I think there are kind of three pockets here of people taking actions like Gary Cohen, the chief economic advisor, swiping, stealing something from the resolute desk in the Oval Office. Which he said he was doing for the, be- for the good of the country. Yeah, not just for the good, but to save the country, to protect the country, because if that had been signed, you begin the unraveling of our relationship with South Korea, not just in trade, but in terms of the 28,000 military personnel we have in the country and the top secret intelligence programs. And so uh, you, you can't separate those. And to do what the president wanted to do, just summarily say we're out of this trade agreement, uh, the experts and the people interested in protecting the country said, no, we have to take action. And in my view, in reporting on this, these are acts of conscience by people who say that, yes, I'm taking a risk, but better to take a personal risk than to go down this road that the president uh, at least a, a number of points wanted to take. It is fascinating in these uh, statements that Gary Cohn have put a, has put out, Rob Porter, even General Kelly, which clearly, uh, from all the reporting, there's been pressure in the White House to have everybody put out statements uh, criticizing the book. They're not actually disputing most of your quotes. I mean, Kelly says he didn't call the president an idiot, but he but he says nothing about crazy town. He says nothing about off the rails. R- Gary Cohn- and other people have reported before going right. back uh, in May that uh, uh, the chief of staff of the Trump White House called the president an idiot. So- and, and Gary Cohen, in his statement, said the book, quote, does not accurately portray my experience of the White House. That doesn't really mean anything. He's not refuting any of these direct quotes. That's quite correct, uh, 
Carl and I used to call this the non-denial denial, that these are uh, security denials uh, to protect people's reputations with Trump. But, you know, it's, look, I'll stick with the reporting. It was done in a very meticulous, careful way that uh, Carl and I really, uh, quite frankly, I learned from Carl. Mm. Go knock on people's doors. Uh, Ben Bradley, uh, the editor of the poster in the Nixon case, said, let's get two sources if we can on something. And uh, this is my report on what goes on in the Trump White House. And you asked the question, well, why would you call it a nervous breakdown? Because it is a nervous breakdown. In the human body, if it has a nervous breakdown, it means that part of the body is doing something uncoordinated with the core mission of the body uh, to survive or however you might define it. But this, when I learned about this, I was shocked. I was surprised. We're going to have more in my interview with Bob Woodward ahead, including how he got so many people to talk and how much of all of this is actually on tape. Do you have a sense of how many, what percentage of interviews you actually recorded? I'll give you his answer next. Plus the latest on Hurricane Florence on a collision course with the Carolinas. Have a live update from Myrtle Beach. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Now more of my conversation with Bob Woodward. His book, Fear, Trump and the White House, is the result of exhaustive reporting, in-depth interviews with administration officials, hundreds of hours of interviews. And yes, Bob Woodward recorded a lot of it. Do you have a sense of how many, what percentage of interviews you actually recorded? Uh, almost all of them. Wow. The deal was I would interview somebody. They would be a confidential source. They're not. I know who they are. Right. They're describing specific events. Uh, Often there are diaries or notes or documents supporting it. And then I would just, uh, a couple of times people would say, I want to go off the record. And uh, I said, no. Very interesting lesson for me. When you say no to off the record, then people in almost in every case, maybe except one, said, okay, I'll tell you anyway on deep background so you can still use it. You can use it, but you can't just say where it came from. That's exactly right. right. And so if you were, and this goes back to the Watergate coverage, when all the notes came out, when all the tapes came out and so forth, it turned out that our coverage, Carl Bernstein's coverage and mine, was conservative. Mm -hmm. It was restrained. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, when somebody looks at this in 20 or 30 or 40 years, boxes of recordings and documents, they will see that this was very carefully done. I know, I can argue with a straight face, that a ardent Trump supporter would read this and have to have pause. Mm. Because whether you like Trump or don't like Trump, it's a management issue how the White House, how the administration is managed, and this is the nervous breakdown. 
at one point you also said you write about the anarchy and disorder of the White House and Trump's mind. I understand the anarchy and disorder of the White House, the way it's set up. In Reince Priebus, you have him quoting, when you put a snake and a rat and a falcon and a rabbit and a shark and a seal in a zoo without walls, things get nasty and bloody. I mean, that's, that's an unbelievable way to describe the White House. And that's from the former chief of staff. And there is time and time again, not just in the economic area, but I think in a more significant way, the national security area, where the president is absolutely horrified that we're spending money to have troops in Europe or... Uh, missile so- defense system in South Korea. Yeah, I mean, here he is, the, the greatest missile defense system that we have. And there are top-secret special access programs that allow us to protect our country. We're not doing this just for the South Koreans. And the Secretary of Defense is in there in a very emphatic way saying, look, these are the best national security dollars we spend. And the president won't let up. And he's saying, you know, we're being played for suckers. We'd be so smart if we'd make so much money. Well, the idea is to protect the country. And so you finally have the Secretary of Defense says to the president, we do this to prevent World War III. Now, I've spent a lot of time with eight other presidents looking at how they handled the office in war or in the economy and so forth, and they all knew that protecting the country, preventing World War III, preventing uh, a nuclear weapon from going off in the United States is job one. This occurred not in the first week of the Trump presidency, but Trump had been in office a year, and there is still this uh, debate going on, and uh, leads to a lot of frustration and a lot of anxiety. The book ends with John Dow, the president's former attorney, saying he's an effing liar. Yes, and that's exactly. But that's but, a stunning quote. Yes, but here you have uh, John Dowd, who worked with the president very closely for eight months as his private attorney in the Mueller investigation. And they go through step by step, and the issue gets down to, is the president going to testify? And so they run a practice session in the White House, and uh, Dowd plays Mueller and asks all kinds of questions, and the president makes things up, lies, explodes, And at the end, Dowd says, you can't testify. I will not sit next to you and allow you to do this. You will perjure yourself, you know, out of control. And uh, the president first agrees he's not going to testify. But then he says, the president can't be seen taking the Fifth Amendment. So I've got to testify. He changes his mind, is insistent. And uh, it's very poignant, the phone calls between Dowd and the president on this because Dowd really wants to stay and help him. But this is the red line, if you will. I am not going to let you testify and be your lawyer. And so uh, president so insistent that Dowd finally resigns. It's a fascinating book. Fear Trump in the White House. Bob Woodward, thanks so much. Thank you. Well, let's check in with Chris, see what he's working on for Cuomo Primetime, the top of the hour. Chris. Wow. 
What an interview. And I have to tell you, you're laying it out so well uh, with Mr. Woodward. We expected the White House to do what they do best, is call everything fake news that they don't like. But what makes this so different is that not only do you have a Woodward par excellence, you know, with his journalism and his recording of everything that's said, but it's not just quotes. He puts people in the rooms where relevant things happen. And that's a meaningful distinction. Great interview, uh, Anderson, for the audience. So tonight, uh, there is new information. The power of the storm and the size of the storm have changed. Now, the second factor matters a lot more than the first, but people are taking false confidence in this storm coming down. We have Sam Champion here tonight, Anderson, to help us through what matters and why. We also have Andrew Gillum, who's running for governor in Florida. What does he think the lessons that should have been learned from last year to be applied to Florence are? What does he think of the president's assessment? Remember, there are a lot of Puerto Ricans that left that island and are now possible voters in Florida. And we have the debate to end all debates about the president's unsung success story. Anna Navarro, Steve Cortez. All right. I'll definitely be watching that about 14 minutes from now, Chris. I'll see you then. Just ahead, more on this storm. We'll take you inside an evacuation center where people already are gathering to wait out Hurricane Florence. Plus, a year ago, another hurricane, Irma, struck southern Florida. And in its deadly wake, 14 people died at a Florida nursing home. You may remember that. Twelve of those deaths have been ruled by a medical examiner as homicides. The question is, was anyone held responsible? I think you're going to be surprised at the answer. We investigate ahead. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. With Hurricane Florence getting even closer to the Carolinas, some people are already taking refuge in a Red Cross evacuation center. Our Scott McLean is at one such location for us tonight. He joins us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So what's the latest where you are? How, how are people holding up? Hey, Anderson, look, we're still a day away from Florence actually making landfall, but there are already 440 people inside this shelter hunkering down until this storm passes. Staff here at the Red Cross, they've tried to make things as comfortable as you can. Their people are getting three square meals a day. There are tables set up for socializing or playing cards. And there's also this entertainment area over there playing movies uh, for the kids during the day and for the adults at night. Uh, but look, the Red Cross also stresses this is not a shelter. The function here is to purely keep people safe until until Florence actually passes. That means that um, there are only cots set up for the elderly or for the sick. Uh, Some people have brought air mattresses, but a lot of people are just sleeping on the floor, Anderson. It is far from ideal, but it's a lot better than the alternative. That's because a lot of the people here, they live in prefabricated homes or mobile homes, not where you want to be when some of this weather that might come um, it comes in, you know, wind gusts potentially up to 100 miles per hour, rain potentially up to 30 inches. I spoke to one woman who says that she rode out the storm in her trailer, uh, Hurricane Matthew, two years ago with her two kids. She says that is not a mistake that she's willing to make again. It was hellacious. With, trees were falling. Uh, with, yeah, trees were falling and taking down, like, the neighbor stuff. We're surrounded with trees. And each year they get weaker and weaker, you know. And double wives, they get weaker and weaker. So I just thought it would be a lot safer to come here. Because, like I said, Myrtle Beach ain't going to keep getting lucky. Over here. 
Wow. So after Hurricane Matthew, that family was without power for a week, Anderson. This time it could be even longer than that. The Red Cross says, though, that this will become an actual shelter after the storm passes if people can't return to their homes that are damaged or flooded out. But I have to tell you, the most amazing thing to hear, though, here uh, is so many people with just amazing attitudes. I mean, think about it. They're facing the prospect of having their homes damaged or even destroyed. One woman who doesn't even have insurance on her mobile home, uh, she told me that, look, you can replace material belongings. You cannot replace people. So she's not taking any chances. Yeah, well, we wish them the best. We'll continue to follow it. Scott McLean, thanks very much. The uncertainty that people in their field tonight was being felt in Florida one year ago. That's when Hurricane Irma tore through that state. Now, you may recall that Three days after Irma hit, people started dying in a South Florida nursing home. Got a lot of attention at the time. Fourteen people lost their lives there. It was a chaotic scene, a horrible tragedy. But like a lot of hurricane aftermath, when the reporters left and the adrenaline kind of wore off for people, the residents were the ones left to pick up the pieces. And that's what Randy Kay found when she looked into what exactly happened at that nursing home and what's happened since. Here's her report. It is the, one of the most upsetting parts of this is that my mom passed away under such circumstances. The temperature gauge was not able to even read her temperature until about 15 minutes after her time of death, and it was 110 degrees. When Jeff Nova first heard his mother Gail had died after Hurricane Irma hit, he could hardly believe it. She was, so he thought, under the watchful care of nurses and staff at the rehabilitation center at Hollywood Hills in Florida. Then came the news that seven others had also died, on the same day in the same facility. That was a year ago, and still Jeff and his family don't have answers, or in their mind, justice. I want to know who's responsible. I'm hopeful that in this investigation, they come out with the truth of really what happened. In all, 14 patients from this facility died in the aftermath of the storm. The medical examiner found that 12 of the 14 died from heat exposure. Many of the victims' body temperatures topped 106 degrees. Twelve have been ruled homicide by the medical examiner, including Jeff's 71-year-old mother. Twelve homicides, but to this day, a year later, no charges. It all began when Irma hit Sunday, September 10th last year. At around 3 p.m., strong winds downed a tree, which knocked out the nursing home's air conditioning system. Many of the patients were moved into hallways, next to fans and spot coolers. Why they wouldn't have evacuated if the temperature was that great and continuing to rise, someone, I have to assume, had that responsibility and decided not to take it. Instead, all 141 patients remained inside for days, sweating as workers tried to manage the situation on their own. Law enforcement says temperatures inside the facility climbed to at least 99 degrees. Still, several doctors who visited the facility to check on their patients testified that it felt warm, but not unbearably hot, and they thought residents were safe. Attorney George Silva represents five families suing the nursing home and Florida Power and Light. We're talking about days where these individuals were deteriorating and suffocating to death. Administrators claim they had repeatedly called Florida Power and Light, state regulators, and the governor's office, and say they were assured the air conditioning would be restored soon. This isn't a light switch that the patients were doing fine one moment and then the next second they weren't doing fine. This was a very slow, grueling death. This video recorded the night after the storm shows the conditions. A fan next to one resident's bed, 
a larger fan in the hallway to keep air moving, and this, a woman laying naked in the hallway on a gurney. The woman who took this video told CNN that same woman was wearing clothes the day before, but had disrobed to try and keep cool. Representatives of the nursing home said it was safest for the patients to shelter in place, given the danger in moving elderly patients. This is the Hollywood Hills Rehabilitation Center. It is right across the street from one of the largest hospitals in the state, Memorial Regional Hospital, which never lost power during the storm. It remained fully operational with air conditioning, all just steps away. Instead, an emergency unfolded. 911, what is your emergency? Eight calls to 911, but only one nurse mentioned that there wasn't any air conditioning in the nursing home. Also, not a single caller suggested an evacuation was needed. I'm calling um, because there's a patient who's um, on cardiac arrest for blue, respiratory failure. I saw her slouch over. I realized that she's not breathing. Residents were dying one after another. After three patients were rushed to the emergency room at Memorial Regional Hospital with extraordinarily high temperatures, Doctors and nurses chose to immediately evacuate the nursing home. The New York Times reported some residents were so hot, their skin was steaming. There were patients that uh, were not living any longer that were upstairs on the second floor when we entered the building. Nobody from the rehabilitation center would speak with us, but court documents provided by lawyers representing the nursing home say that Florida's Agency for Healthcare Administration never suggested evacuation and instead told them to call 911 if residents developed emergency conditions. The rehab center did call 911, but not until it was too late for a dozen residents. The governor's office says at no time did anyone from the nursing home indicate that conditions had become dangerous or that patients were at risk. And families say Florida Power and Light is to blame too, for not showing up until long after the nursing home had been evacuated, despite numerous calls for help. This nursing home was not attended to despite multiple calls, multiple emails, and multiple requests for assistance. FPL said in a statement that it urged customers to call 911 if it was a life-threatening situation. To think that help was so close and yet sadly so far for these individuals is really, really disturbing and troubling. Jeff Nova still struggles thinking about his mother's final moments and wants to make sure she didn't die in vain. You haven't given up on justice for your mother. I believe that there has to be justice in this situation, like all situations. These events don't go away and get brushed under the rug. Some closure has to occur, some changes have to occur so that this event doesn't get replicated. Randy joins me now from outside the, the Florida hospital where those patients could have been taken. So where do things stand now with the investigation? Anderson, it's still an active investigation. Hollywood police and the state, state attorney's office are still looking into this. And we understand that they have video surveillance from inside the nursing home, which shows um, what was going on inside. And it's something that they will likely use to build a case for criminal charges if those do come. Uh, the documents filed by the state agency says that this surveillance video shows that the, uh, the employees inside the nursing home weren't very active. They weren't really monitoring the patients. Of course, the nursing home disputes that. They said that they were taking the best care 
care they could of the patients, certainly trying to keep them comfortable. Um, but keep in mind, Anderson, we understand from the documents that we have that this video shows one person, one patient inside that nursing home who died hadn't been seen by anyone in wow. their room for seven hours. So it certainly doesn't sound like they were being monitored, not yeah. until a housekeeper entered that room. Um, the video, we're also told, shows employees and residents uh, visibly sweating. The nursing home, of course, has said that um, it was more or less comfortable inside, mostly comfortable, as they put it. Um, but in terms of charges, Anderson, uh, the lawyer who we spoke to says we could see involuntary or voluntary manslaughter, maybe wow. even reckless endangerment. But whether or not those charges come, Anderson, of course, so many questions. I'm standing right here in front of this hospital. I can see the front door of that nursing home. Hard to imagine they didn't evacuate yeah. these people and move them over to a working hospital where they could have saved their lives. Yeah, Randy, we'll continue to follow it. Thanks. The news continues. I want to hand it over to Chris Cuomo. Cuomo Primetime starts now. Chris. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.